This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to episode 10 of the Practice of Learning Teams. In this episode, the three authors of the book, The Practice of Learning Teams, Brent Sutton, Gladys McCarthy and Brent Robinson, will conduct the MIDI Learning Team based on your submissions in the Learning Journal. We will discuss and reflect on some of the community challenges to embed learning teams and explore the what, the how and the why. Uh, in my recent uh, travels, I've been introduced to a new word from... Uh, Todd Conklin and Jeffrey Lythe from the Safety Differently Forum. And uh, the word, or let's call it the word of the day, is BLOTO, B-L-O-T-O, which stands for Blame Versus Learning Organisational Trade-Offs. And I thought it'd be a really good uh, chance today to um, speak with my colleagues, Glynis McCarthy and Brent Robinson, about BLOTO and what blotto means to them. Well, I, I like this. When he came up with this, Brent, and explained it to me, I really like this idea of uh, blotto and um, blame versus learning. And, you know, I think the discussion we had was around why we go to blame first or why we quite often see blame as the first port of call. And, you know, my view is that it's easy, right? If they only followed the procedure, it wouldn't have happened. It's easy put it on the person, not the system. And it doesn't give us that opportunity to look deeper and learn from a particular event or a particular incident that's happened. And I think it's a really cool way of discussing it and working with people on exploring it further. And I think this notion um, that blame inhibits learning is actually reasonably well-founded. But what I always ask, um, what encourages learning to occur? And as part of that conversation, I sometimes ask myself, um, is, is, does learning happen um, in an incidental way, or does learning need to be deliberate? What are your thoughts, Glynis? Well, I think if we listen to Todd Conklin, um, Todd would say quite clearly that learning needs to be something that's deliberate. Um, and it's something that we need to do where we're active participants as opposed to passive participants. I think when we look at blame, I think blame really sort of sees the person as a problem. Um, it, it looks as problems as headaches. And what we need to be doing is thinking about um, when, there, when there's things that go wrong, that the people that we have working with us are the problem solvers. Yeah, they're, they're part of, they bring a whole lot of, of, of that sort of knowledge and that problems are particularly, uh, potentially around learning opportunities. So if, you, if, if we're saying that, you know, blame, we end up treating the person as the problem, then once we've blamed them, we've pretty much lost the opportunity to learn anything, haven't we? Everybody goes back into their bunker because we've now fixed the problem. We've put in some, we've given them some more training or we've put in a new procedure. And that opportunity is lost. You guys agree? 
Well, look, I, I think that the organisation believes that the organisation can learn through blame regardless. The question I ask myself, can workers learn if they feel blamed? Because you know, when, when we talk about in, in, in the likes of things like HOP, and those type of things, we talk about this word operational learning. Well, that operational learning, um, I think, is a different lens for what the worker learns and what the organisation learns. So I think many organisations believe that they can learn through blame because they're getting the output. I really question about whether the worker is able to learn by uh, by being blamed or being forming part of that process of blame in that way. So is blame our inhibitor for an individual to learn? I think it could be argued that blame is an inhibitor not only for the individual um, because I think that it closes down... Uh, people taking uh, responsibility f- f- for actions, and I think it starts to close down this idea of accountability, but I also really think it closes down um, p- opportunities for ongoing or continuous learning for the organisation. They may get some learning if, if if they go down the kind of the blame route, but I think that that learning is really limited, um, and I think it's very difficult then for it to become incremental learning into something that's bigger. I think, you know, it cuts it off. It truncates the, any information they're getting. And from an organisational point of view, I think you might actually um, teach the worker that there's no point in providing any extra information because the decision's been made or the outcome's been formulated. And so I think what you get is a, very, a much shortened view of reality. And you, do, you don't have that opportunity to move forward from the organisational point of view. I think it also really forces people into that kind of risk-averse sort of positioning as opposed to being able to make, you know, good uh, risk assessments, particularly in dynamic risk. If you've got the chance of being blamed for something, um, you're much more likely to kind of hide issues as they come along rather than look at them, evaluate them and and make some reasoned decisions about, you know, what are you going to do? How are you going to overcome those? So is that that issue of that trade-off? that the person's looking at. So they're either, they've either been blamed in the past because they've raised something. So the trade-off now is why raise it again? Because they know if they raise it again, they're going to get blamed again. So if something does go wrong, they know they're going to get blamed. So why raise it to begin with? Is that the trade-off type situation we're talking about? Yeah, I think that it creates a passive environment where people aren't going to bring anything to the you know, highlight anything within the within the business or within the, the failures of the system. And so I think we have to improve on that. So, so when we think about learning and some of those um, sort of inhibitors to learning, what, what about this whole concept of top-down learning, where where lots of traditional safety is all driven by top-down through systems, through safe systems of work, through checklists, through take fives, JSAs. I think that it's adding, it's actually adding cost and not adding value. And I think we've got to understand the difference between cost and value. But adding value, great. But you, we need to we need to understand what it's doing and what value it's adding to the individual and making them safer and to the organisation and understanding risk. And I think ultimately a lot of those checklists and things that we do on a routine basis is about compliance. It's about showing that we're doing something rather than actually trying to do something of value. 
I think, yeah, I, I agree. And the number of times I see um, checklists completed and then the number of checklists completed ends up on a dashboard that's reported back to executive management every month. It's not added any value to the people doing the work. It really hasn't added any value to the management team trying to make better decisions or inform them. So it's it's added no value. But think, you've, you've put in you've added some waste because you've collected a whole lot of data that might not actually prevent anything from happening. I think a whole lot of this is around kind of fault finding as opposed to fact finding. You know, we're, we're trying yeah, to find some faults. Um, but really what we want to be doing is a whole lot more inquiry around what does good practice look like. So it's actually trying to understand the facts that are presented to us um, as, as we go about our daily tasks. Yeah, I really like that fact-finding versus fault-finding. And that goes back to blame, doesn't it? You're not doing it, it right or you haven't followed the procedure, therefore you need to follow the procedure, not going to the next level and going, well, why aren't you following the procedure? That's right, because it's know. all about person-centred as opposed to process-centred. You know, the moment we get over to, to looking at the process, so people are part of a process, but once we start to move away from people and look at the process, actually we can get a much more holistic view of what's going on. And that just reminded me that in the book, The Practice of Learning Teams, we gave that example of um, sort of um, fact versus uh, fault finding. And the example we talked about, the auditor, and he was going through and he basically um, saw that there was a part missing in the machine. And he asked the worker, why was the guard missing? Which was basically placing it on placing it on the worker. So effectively blaming the worker versus asking the question, um, how was the guard um, uh, inhibiting you or stopping you from, from doing your work? Which is more about fact finding. Is that the type of thing that we're sort of talking about? Look, I'm sure that all of us could think of re- loads of examples in practice where actually the, the, the so-called system that's meant to keep us safe actually acts as a barrier to keeping us safe. Um, and it becomes really easy then to, to make lots of assumptions specifically around um, workers and, and the workers' part to play in this. So it's easy then to get into blame. So if we want learning to happen, we want learning to be um, deliberate rather than learning being incidental. What are some of the things that we should be considering? How do you do deliberate acts of learning? So how do you take people who have some expertise in what they're doing and about managing dynamic risk, how do you capture that? How do you make some sense of that? So he's basically saying that the the first phase is to identify opportunities for learning. Yeah, most definitely. And and opportunities for critique. Yeah, so those opportunities, do they exist um, in our pre-work? Do those opportunities exist um, when we do uh, change in our work methods? Do those opportunities exist um, when we finish our work for our day to reflect on? Are they all are all those things learning opportunities? I think, yeah, I think they are learning opportunities. I think the example that uh, you and I have talked about before, Brent, was around... Um, you know, that end of the day, that 10 minutes, what did uh, good look like today? We've asked some of those guys on some of those construction sites and we had different teams on those sites doing the same job in different locations. And they one team came back with a, a, a better way of doing it that was safer, that made more sense. 
and it was adopted. So we know we took out some waste, we learned something along the way, and we simply got those guys to tell a story to the other teams that were working the other at the other work fronts. And it was a great way of learning something. And that goes back to that incidental uh, learning that we were talking about before, is that it was just a natural conversation. The last 10 minutes of the day before everybody clocked off, got in their cars and went about their life again. Right. So it was really powerful. So what I'm hearing there is, is that the workers understood the purpose of the yep. opportunity. They were able to see the role that they played in that learning opportunity. And they were also able to see how their input was then applied and fed back to them to improve on the next set of practice or the next set of learning opportunities. Would that be a fair sum up? Yep. And then they were given that opportunity to share that and were... It was, I don't want to use the word embrace, but, you know, the other people looked and go, well, hey, that's that's a really cool idea. They got, they felt good about sharing that and something been taken up by the other guys doing the job, you know, so it was, you know, that, that involvement and in being able to share those ideas. And that has to take place in an environment where people aren't feeling like they're going to be blamed. That has to take place in an environment where people feel that they've got some psychological safety to be able to speak up without recrimination. Um, and they need to be empowered, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even and that the was basics, on the construction side. Yeah, just the basics of being listened to. Yes. It's easy, to be, it's easy to be talked to. Yeah. But, you know, being listened to. I think the word I like there is valued. Their their view was valued and and worked on and became part of what we did moving forward. So we're basically saying to uh, to encourage learning, uh, workers need to understand the purpose of the learning opportunity. And, and there has to be something in it for me. There has to be something in it for me. And um, could that also work from a compliance perspective? So, for instance, if I, if I use an example, you know, the fact that uh, we, we might have to complete some form of uh, permit-to-work process before entering an area. Yep. Can basically, could, could that be used as a learning opportunity rather than a compliance component for the worker? Most definitely, but it's got to be used in a meaningful way. So, so much of what I see in practice is that uh, people are using various systems um, purely as compliance. So they simply are checkbox. You know, you tick this, you tick that, you sign it, and it doesn't actually aid practice. It's something that somebody else is getting a value from, um, but the individual themselves, it's not providing them with a value. The, I, I saw exactly that example the other day where we there was a team putting on solar panels onto a onto a roof, and they were doing the check. They had the apprentice apprentice electrician in the truck doing the paperwork while the other guys were setting up the pre-start. So wow. there's no value in it, you know. And I and I think that that's where we've got to try and help people move that view that there is value in some of the stuff, but if it adds no value. We need to think about how we do it better or do it differently. And that's, I think, where we, you know, that's where we need to head to. Uh, you know, ask, when you ask those people, why do you do it this way? We go, well, you know, we have to do it 10 times a week. 
at every job. It's, you know, it's crazy. And I think that this is where this acronym comes in really well. When we're looking at blame versus learning, you know, organisational trade-offs, this is where it starts to, to kind of make a bit of sense, isn't it? There are some things that we need to do from a compliance point of view in health and safety. If we're wanting to be a, a learning organisation, the trade-off is then that some of those things for compliance and for compliance only, actually they don't provide a learning opportunity. And so we need to be thinking about what are the things that inform good practice, what are the things that detract from good practice, and really start to streamline activities that really help our workers to make good decisions around their practice. So it's about, I suppose we keep coming back to it, um, the more we can provide a frame that the worker can contextualise the nature of the work that they're doing every day, the more that they can uh, speak and be engaged with around the types of hazard situations that are likely to arise, the more they'll find that concept um, meaningful to them. So, so being told every day, have you identified the hazard of um, you know, falling from height and my job is to work on a roof? Where does the learning opportunity come from? Yeah, there isn't any. Right. There isn't, there no. isn't any because I basically don't have the choice to work on the roof because my job is to work on the roof. Yep. That's where the work happens. Right. Yet what we're trying to do, and I suppose what the system's trying to do, the system is trying to plan for some of that uh, variability that can happen in that uh, dynamic environment. Of course, we know a checklist cannot cater for every potential scenario that can unfold. Yeah, and and we keep adding these adding these bits and pieces to it to make it longer. I was I, yesterday. I got a induction, which was a seventy-two page PowerPoint that I had to read, and then I had to go and answer. Um, 25 questions based on that PowerPoint, of which 90% of it's never going to affect me because I'm never going to go into that facility, into the work area. Wow. But everybody does it, you know, and no opportunity for me to learn anything. Or, you know, you start flicking through, and I, got, I don't have the best attention span, you guys know that. And uh, by the time I got to, uh, you know, about the 15th PowerPoint slide, I'd lost interest. You'd lost the will. Uh, look, it makes me laugh. Um, this morning I was um, picking up some materials for a piece of work that I was doing and um, the, the person said, oh, you, could, you can reverse your truck into the area. So, so I did that and I stopped. And when I finished the work and was about to leave, they said, oh, look, you can't drive off until I put my high-vis on. Ah. And I'm thinking, so that's the high-vis you weren't wearing when I was reversing in. But Most now, dangerous time. Correct, but now you want to wear the high vis when I'm leaving, and I and I asked that innocent. I asked a very innocent question: What was the high vis going to protect you from? And what was the answer, Brent? Um, I just a look of total blank. <laughs> I got no. Could idea. you've been told to do it? Yeah, I got no idea. Yeah. And then I said, "Well, look, let, let me know when they manufacture a protective shield." as a high-vis yep. in that way. 
But don't you find it rather ironic that the most dangerous part of the operation? No high vis. No high vis. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But we see that time and time again. Absolutely. In that way. But if something did happen, he'd be blamed for not putting his high vis on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But luckily it was daylight. Yes. So if we think about this whole sort of uh, concept of how to encourage learning, so rather than focusing on why blame inhibits learning, what are some of the things that we can think about 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 how we can encourage learning? So there's the there's the person part. So there's the person who is part of it. What about and sometimes we might call them the receiver. What about the person who's actually providing the message? And I think that's a bit that is seriously undercooked, um, which is why I think that we go to add more and more layers, often with pieces of paper that we want to to check against, um, because we don't put much faith in the person who's doing the the sending of the message. Um, And we don't put a lot of faith that that two-way conversation that can be had um, amounts to much. Right, so just as we think about work as imagined versus work as done, uh, should we also say the same thing about uh, communication as sent versus communication as received? Yes, yes, because the message where the message we quite often send is not what is received. I know when I worked in adult <laughs> literacy, we used to talk about those people. So the role of the speaker, the role of the speaker, is to ensure understanding. Yeah, so the role of the speaker is to be the one that thinks about the audience that you're speaking to and as much as possible ensure that your message is clear. And then the person in the speaking, in the listening role, the, in the listening role, you listen to understand. So I think we need to do a whole lot of work around sort of soft skills, around speaking and listening, to speak, to communicate, to listen, to understand. Um, and there's a lot to be said that when you're working in a noisy, dynamic environment, Actually, the ideas of speaking and listening in their kind of purest forms, you know, to speak, to communicate, to listen, to understand, they all seem to, they all go out the window. They're severely tested. Right. So, it sounds like a bit of a counselling session going on. Um, At no point, Brent, do I want you to lie on the couch and recount your (laughs) earliest childhood traumas. It was was horrible. It was horrible. Um, But... If we go back to it, the very people we rely on to send this message from the system, these supervisors, these team leaders, are the ones that have have had very little opportunity to actually um, gain a skill through an outside way. In other words, it's it's a skill that they've had to develop through their own experiences rather than a yep. skill that's been gained based on some form of good practice. Yeah, how many times have you been on site where the supervisor, you know, is, is, your, is, is the stopping point? You know, if, you, if you're trying to, to, to engage with people, if you're trying to look at, well, what does good practice look like? Actually, the person that often stops you from doing that in a meaningful way is, is often the supervisor. And often they're feeling quite precarious and worried about blame and they're worried about repercussion and worried about identifying if, if, if they're doing something that the organisation may not think is, is what they're wanting. 
Um, we saw a classic the other day in a learning team where the supervisor took that role of the very heavy paternalistic um, kind of fatherly figure. Either you follow all that he says or it's his way or the highway. He was a staff sergeant or a sergeant of arms. Yeah, very much so. And yeah. probably his team don't look at him as if they are co-equals um, in terms of kind of you know, the the opportunity to, to discuss things, to put their ideas forward. Either you do as he says or you're out of there. And, and I think... I can't, imagine, I can't imagine there's any opportunity for uh, his team members to go to him and say, I found this, what do you think? I think his view was, if he didn't understand the first time, I'll yell it louder and harder at you the second time. Ah, uh, yes, that type of training. Yes, because obviously it didn't sink in the first time. Mm. So let's, let's give a different tone and a different volume and maybe the message will sink in this time. But probably if, if there's some irony in that, he probably thinks that works for him. Yeah, and I think the irony in that um, is often the organisation thinks it works also. Um, but what I, what I do know is that they're losing huge opportunities um, for, for really understanding how their processes work, what are the things that support those processes to be safe and effective, and what are those things that are effectively hindrances. But I bet you the organisational learning is coming from the fact that he completes the forms 100% of the time and in the time frame that's needed. So their evaluation or judgment of his performance is simply about how he is adhering to the need of the system not the need of the person. But, you know, doesn't it highlight the problem of these dashboards that we see from time to time where we go, we've got 100% compliance with uh, reporting and 100% compliance with audits this month? It's a meaningless number. It doesn't mean anything because you, unless you dig down, the organisation's not going to learn anything either. I think that really entrenches this notion of of blame. You know, if you feel that you've got 100% adherence, if you feel that you've got this great compliance... Actually, when something goes wrong, I think there's a natural tendency then to blame. You know, something, there must be a weak link somewhere, and actually the weak link is a, is a person. Yeah, go straight to finding the lowest common denominator amongst the people. If he had only or she had only done this, we wouldn't have had this problem. Yeah. So it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't provide any chance for learning anything, really. It's lost. So how, how would you guys um, summarise the, uh, the word of the day that was introduced to us by Dr. Todd Conklin and Jeffrey Lyth from Say Differently, Blotto, B-L-O-T-O. Now, I also understand that in many countries, including this country, Blotto has a slightly different meaning, one where one has partaken in one or two many types of beverages or other types of recreational spirits. But in this case, Blotto, for us, it's basically focusing on blame versus learning uh, organisational trade-offs. So what, what are you, how do we summarise that from today's session? 
I think if we want to get um, learning at an organisational level, then we need to look for opportunities uh, for true learning to take place. And if we're going to have true learning take place, we have to invite those people with some knowledge and some experience, some skills um, in whatever it is that they're doing and provide them with an opportunity to be able to have those discussions about what is working, where are the rubs, where do they need to compromise, how does the system support their practice and where does the system hinder the practice. Um, So we need to move away from this notion of blame. But I think what it points to um, is also that we've got to provide some of those soft skills to those supervisors and line managers that are going to do that, that they can facilitate um, learning and, and asking those questions in a way that doesn't come across as blame and then value the people that are feeding back into those, into that um, loop. So I think that's, you know, that's where those, that really fits for me. And I really like the word. I think it's a great, I'm going to use it. Superb. People are going to get annoyed. So, so for me, two things came out from it. One was understanding where do the opportunities for learning exist and how do our systems and processes encourage the opportunities for learning to actually come about as well. Thank you, listeners, for being part of this podcast. We'd love to hear your learnings from today or other topics you would like us to support you on. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and be part of the community practice of learning teams at www.learningteamscommunity.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.